Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Thanks for joining us for this episode of 13. This is a combined version of our November series, The Mist in the Trees, all in one place. Or two places. We'll see how big the file ends up being. There are no intros or closing credits between episodes, so it's a little easier to listen to the story. There's nothing new here. So if you've already listened, you won't be missing anything. But if you have a friend that you think might like the series, this could be a pretty easy way to share it with them. I don't know. I can't tell you what to do. Anyway, here's the show. When I was a kid, we lived on a big plot of land about a mile past the city limits. It was up on a hill, set way back from the road, but it wasn't hidden. The hill sloped up gradually, and we were at the very top. It meant that we could see a long way in every direction. At night, we used to sit on the porch and watch headlights and taillights snake around down below. And way back behind the house, at the edge of the property, maybe two football fields away, there was a forest. It was a great place to grow up. My mom used to say that when she and my dad retire, they'd turn the place into an orchard, like something from a Hallmark movie. She loved that kind of thing. I don't think it was ever a serious plan, but my mom and dad loved to dream. When I was in middle school, something happened at the local baseball fields. It happened on a weekday. I don't remember why I was home from school, but around nine in the morning, we heard something off in the distance. It was the Little League fields at Ecton Park. The park was also just outside of town, and it's where the kids' baseball and soccer teams played. Every kid in my town spent a lot of their summers at Ecton Park. Living just down the road, we were familiar with the sounds of summer that came from the park. Every Saturday morning, you could hear the games off in the distance, the loudspeaker chirping out players' names and numbers. The only thing was, it wasn't a Saturday, and it wasn't summer. What are they doing over there? It's a school day. She was right. Why would there be a Little League game when school was in? We shrugged it off and went about our day. But it kept going. It wasn't constant. But every few minutes, we'd hear a quick burst of sound. And then it was gone. Muffled, echoing voices. Words you can't quite make out. Sometimes, there would be as much as 30 minutes between them, and we'd forget all about it. But there it was again. It kept on through lunchtime, 
and then into the afternoon. When my dad got home from work, Mom told him about it, and he agreed. It was strange. Night fell, and the voice on the loudspeaker kept on. My mom and dad went outside. Our front porch faced the park. Maybe there's a tournament or something going on. But on a school day? And where are the lights? She was right. Anytime there were night games, the big lights over the field would be on. The sky would be bright. But it was a normal dark night sky. Finally, my dad decided to go and check it out. And he asked if I wanted to come along. I had been intrigued all day, so I didn't hesitate to say yes. Are you sure it's a good idea for her to come? I mean, come on. What could it really be? My dad's confidence made me feel safer. And I definitely wanted to be part of solving the mystery. We made the short drive to Ecton Park. I rolled down my window. I can still remember the feeling of the wind on my face and hair. We slowed down as we pulled onto the little park road. Somehow, I still expected there to be lights or car headlights, or some sign of people, but there was no one. I started to feel anxious, and I think my dad could sense it. He started talking, just filling the air, trying to lighten the mood, but it wasn't working. We drove by the dark tennis courts, the picnic areas, and the playground. The park looked different at night and I didn't like that I couldn't see much outside the cone of the headlights. It felt like forever, but it probably only took a couple of minutes before we were in the main parking lot. A big, empty expanse of concrete, ringed on all sides by baseball fields. Dad turned the truck off, and all of a sudden, it was quiet. Why don't we just sit here for a minute and see what happens? And that's what we did. Only a few seconds passed, and there it was. It felt like it came from all around us, and we both jumped. I'm going to go take a look around. Do you want to come, or do you want to wait in the car? I thought it would be scarier out there, walking around in the dark. But almost right away, I regretted my decision. I rolled up the window and locked the doors as I watched him get further away across the lot. He made his way toward one of the baseball fields. Each field had its own booth right behind home plate. It's where the announcer sat. Maybe someone had left one of the sound systems on and it was playing on a loop. The whole thing took a few minutes, but it felt like forever. He'd be out of my line of sight for a couple of minutes, and I'd feel a little twinge of fear begin to take root in my chest. But just before the panic took over, he'd come back out into view and make his way along the fence line, past the dugouts, and on to the next field. I startled and let out a yelp. A moment later, He finished his rounds. Well, everything's locked up. I don't think there's anything we can do. 
I felt a wave of relief when he got back into the truck and started the engine. We made our way out of the park and back home. When we got home, he told my mom what we'd seen. Nothing. And honestly, even if he'd found an open booth with a sound system running, he wouldn't know how to turn it off. He used the house phone to call the police and let them know what was happening. Maybe someone could get in touch with whoever ran the sound system at the park. Later, we would find out that someone had been working on the sound system and was playing back tape of old games as tests. When they'd finished up, they had just forgotten to turn it off. We weren't the only ones to hear it. There were farms on all sides of the park. There were even parents there during the day with small kids who heard it. Everyone just assumed that someone else knew what they were doing, and no one wanted to be the person to complain about it. It's the most Midwestern explanation possible. It would be deep into the night before someone got out there to deal with it. It was past my bedtime. It was a school night. I laid awake and listened as every few minutes another burst of muffled voices would play in the distance. And then I heard something coming from the other room. Sometimes, when mom and dad thought we were asleep, they'd put on old records. Old, even for them. My dad thought it felt fancy and cultured. I heard them trying to talk quietly and keep their laughs under their breaths. And somewhere in the middle of all that, I fell asleep. That was all a long time ago, a little more than half my life, but I still think about that night a lot. Now, I live on the north side of Chicago, not far from Wrigley Field, and sometimes I can hear the speakers from Cubs games in the distance. And just like that, it brings me right back to that night and to the year that followed it. I think about that night a lot when I'm in periods of transition, uncertainty, or just in a rut. And that's exactly where I was in my life on the night this story began. I was thinking about riding in the passenger seat all those years ago with my dad. I think about that night mostly because of what happened the next morning. That was the morning that my dad left for work and never came home. He only made it a mile or so down the road. A truck came around a turn too fast, crossed the yellow line, and my world was never the same again. I remember watching as my mom pushed down her grief. She was trying to stay strong for me and my brother. But I also remember that grief coming out in small ways, especially that first year. She started staying up late, 
watching movies from the 80s and 90s, from the time when she met my dad. I'd hear it all from my bedroom at the end of the hall. I was always a night owl, and I was always listening. When I'd venture out long after midnight, she'd be asleep on the couch, the blue light of a finished VHS tape on the TV. She couldn't sleep in silence anymore. I didn't understand it at the time, but now I realize that she couldn't let herself be alone with her thoughts for very long. She went on long walks around the property. I'd see her way back at the edge of the tree line, far enough that you could barely hear a shout from the house. She bought things on impulse, like a camcorder, even though I never saw her use it. And she started relying more and more on caffeine and alcohol to pick her up in the morning and to wind her down at night. I asked her once what she was doing down in the woods, but she changed the subject. Feeling the protective urge to not share her darkest moments with her middle school child. After dad was gone, my grandmother came to stay with us more and more too. At first mom said it was just to help out. But over time, it was clear that it was grandma who needed the help. She ended up moving in with us after she left the gas stove on and somehow managed to survive the night. After she moved in, Mom kept her drinking and her walks to the back of the property until later at night, after my grandmother went to sleep. Grandma didn't like the woods, and she used to warn us to stay away from them. She would tell us stories, the kind that are meant to keep kids from wandering too far and getting lost. But I saw other kids playing in the woods sometimes. When me and my brother Donovan were little, We'd go back to the end of the property, and we'd hear them laughing and playing. Sometimes they'd even wave at us to come play, but Donovan was too shy. First thing in the morning, I would see them from my bedroom window. They would be running through the trees, running and laughing, and Mom didn't mind being back there. It seemed to be the only place she could find peace. There were times when my own morning would manifest in strange ways. I would be home alone, in middle school or high school, and I would swear I could hear Dad's voice from the other side of the house. But mostly, I remember waking up in the middle of the night. Sometimes it was nothing, just trouble sleeping. But other times, I'd have that feeling that I was being watched. Familiar objects around the room would look distorted and exaggerated. Shadows would feel sinister. And then I'd look to my bedroom door, and it would be open. And in the doorway would be a figure, standing there, leaning against the frame, silhouetted by the kitchen light down the hall. I couldn't make out the face or any features, just the shape. And even though I couldn't see anything else, I just knew, from the way it leaned, from the familiar feeling that welled up in me when I saw it, I knew it was my dad. And most of the time, I wasn't afraid. Even though I wasn't scared of it, I never spoke up 
or gave any indication that I was awake. I didn't know what it would do. I laid there, and the next thing I knew, it was morning. My grandmother's health went downhill fast. She had to go to a long-term care home after that first year, and she passed pretty soon after that. She was buried with my grandfather back home in the mountains, about an hour east of our town. It was different than my dad. It was expected. And by the end, it seemed like a mercy. But I missed her. She spent the last good year of her life the last one before dementia took complete hold, comforting and bonding with my brother and me, helping her daughter, my mom, through the worst days of her life. It was all at once heroic and ordinary. After all, that's what moms do. It wasn't something I truly recognized or understood at that age. It's only something you can see later. But it always stuck with me, along with another question. If my grandmother could fight to stave off her dementia for her daughter, why couldn't my mom be there like that for me? Mom's drinking, the walks, the sleeping with the TV on. It went on for about a year after my dad died. And then she went downhill fast and hard. She was immobilized with grief, like nothing we'd seen the whole year since he died. It was scary, and I wasn't sure what to do. My little brother started coming to sleep in my room. He wasn't old enough to understand what was happening, but he knew something was wrong. It lasted about a week, and then all of a sudden, it stopped. It was like nothing had ever happened. She was sleeping in her room again. She was back to only drinking occasionally. I never saw her back at that tree line again. And me and my brother, we had our mom back. The only problem was, you can't just erase a year's worth of distance with the snap of your fingers, even as understandable as it was. We were never the same after that year and the distance never really healed. We weren't at each other's throats, or even all that unpleasant, even into my teenage years, but we were never really close again either. Not to mention, I had my own grief to overcome. And I think she tried, I really do, but it just wasn't enough. This was all on my mind, this trip down memory lane because it was the weekend before Thanksgiving. I'd requested off work for the whole week so I could fly home from Chicago and make the most of that time. I had packed up and I was getting ready to go to sleep when my phone rang. It was my brother, Donovan. He and I weren't close, but we weren't in a bad place either. We were just really different people. We'd text and send memes, happy birthday messages, things like that. But we weren't friends. We didn't confide in each other. And we didn't talk on the phone. 
When I saw his name on my phone as an incoming call, my heart dropped. I already knew. I was going home for a very different reason. He told me that it was an aneurysm. She was found just inside the door, like she'd been trying to get outside. It didn't make sense. Did she think she'd be able to drive for help? I guess your body just reacts when you're in a panic like that. There's no thought to it. I flew home the next day. I landed in Lexington, and I was supposed to call my brother from the airport, and he'd be coming to pick me up. From there, we'd drive the hour or so east toward our hometown. And then, I'm not sure what. We hadn't gotten that far. It just kind of seemed like we should be there, at the old house. That was the plan, and I completely intended to do all of that. But when I landed, I don't know. I just didn't feel like seeing him yet. I didn't want to talk about it. I realized then that I hadn't actually told anyone yet. Friends from home that I stay in touch with on social media had reached out. They'd all heard about it because everyone hears about everything in small towns. But I hadn't responded to them yet, and I didn't tell any of my friends in Chicago either. I wasn't ready to talk about it. And as soon as I saw Donovan, we'd have to talk about it. So I lied. And I told him my flight was late and that he shouldn't wait on me. I'd rent a car and meet him there. He would understand. I wouldn't even really have to explain. He knows I'm like this. My phone buzzed. A thumbs up emoji. He'd probably already checked my flight number and saw that it had landed. I rented a car and I drove around the city, avoiding the inevitable. But eventually... I pointed my car east, toward home. There are two exits in my hometown. The first one has a few hotels, restaurants, there's a movie theater. The second exit empties out by an industrial park. Past that, there are a few neighborhoods, and then you're outside of town. From the edge of town, it was only a couple of minutes before I was pulling into my mom's driveway my childhood home, making my way up the gentle hill all the way to the top, coming to a stop by the front door. I still had a key on my key ring. It was still the first one she gave me when I was a teenager. I slid the key into the lock and pushed the door open. And there it was. That's the spot where it happened. I thought the house would feel different. I thought there would be a heaviness in the air, but there wasn't. The only strange thing was the feeling of being alone. I've come to visit, but I haven't been alone in this house in a long time. I walked through the place, just taking it in. I don't know what I expected. Crime scene tape? For the place to look ransacked or combed over? But it looked like she'd just gone out for errands. Like she was coming right back. I should really call my brother and let him know I was here. But I wanted to pretend just a little longer. I 
I paced the house. From the front, it looks like a single story, but it's built into a hill. Around back, there's a basement door that leads outside. It's a finished basement and has a big back patio with a deck over top that looks out at the back of the property. My brother lived in this basement during college while he commuted to school in Lexington, but it was mostly storage now. A couch and a TV remained in the center of the room, but all along the walls there were boxes, the things that accumulate over a lifetime. Upstairs, there are big windows and a glass door leading out to the deck. There were framed photos all over the walls, me and Donovan at different ages, a few of the whole family, dad too. In the living room is where my mom kept my dad's most prized possession, an old radio and record player cabinet from the 1940s, back when a radio was a whole piece of furniture. He'd found it at a yard sale or a flea market. It didn't work, but he bought it on a whim, saying he'd fix it up one of these days. It sat in the basement for a long time, just another surface to pile on junk and other odds and ends. But eventually, he cleared it off, pulled out the old speakers, and put in modern ones. But he kept the original sound screens, so it still looked like it did when it was built. They moved it upstairs, and it stayed exactly where it sits now, the only thing in the house she never moved. I went into my old room. She'd turned it into a combination guest room and sitting room a long time ago, but it was still my bed from when I was a teenager. I flopped down on the mattress and rolled over, staring up at the ceiling. I was exhausted. What am I supposed to do now? I closed my eyes, and in moments, I was asleep. When I woke up, it took a moment to get my bearings. It was dark. How long had I been out? The energy in the house had changed. It felt uneasy. I checked my phone, the only source of light in the place. I had been asleep for three hours. There was a message from my brother. He'd asked if I'd landed yet. Another, then another. And finally, one from 30 minutes ago saying, I'm on my way. I wrote back and apologized, telling him I was already at mom's house. I got up and turned on a lamp in the living room and the kitchen lights too. A message back from my brother five minutes away I could feel the irritation through the text I stepped out onto the back deck it faces away from town out into the dark night there was a flash of light in the distance and then another this was the direction that storms always came from when I was a kid I used to watch them just like this on summer nights I stepped up to the wooden rail, that uneasy feeling continuing to grow. Maybe it was the anticipation of the storm, but also, it felt like there were eyes on me. I looked over my shoulder, through the glass door, and into the house. Nothing. Of course there was nothing. I leaned on the railing, 
A little breeze rustled through the grass and leaves. It felt nice against my face and in my hair. I don't know if I'd ever felt so alone in my life. It was just sinking in for the first time. I don't have parents anymore. The smell of rain was on the air, and the thunder was getting closer. There was a bright flash. I jumped at the sound. It was time to go inside. Just as I was turning toward the house, I saw headlights pan out across the field. A car was coming up the driveway. My brother. Perfect timing. I met him at the front door. Once he was inside, Donovan shook the rain from his coat. His hair was wet. He seemed irritated. It could have been the rain, but it was probably me blowing him off and lying about it. I apologized, and I told him it wasn't about him. I was just putting off having to talk about it. He shrugged. It's cool. I was just worried is all. I was going to call you soon, but... I just needed to rest, I guess. I didn't mean to fall asleep. I didn't mean to keep you waiting like that. Yeah, it's it's fine. Good flight? Yeah, it was fine. So, how, how have you been? Good. How about you? The same. He went over to the kitchen and started looking through the cabinets in the pantry. I felt a conflicted, protective instinct. Should we be raiding her fridge and going through everything? Shouldn't we wait? He read my expression, the way only siblings can. Come on. If she were here, she'd be offering us the whole kitchen anyway. That was true enough, I guess. He found a bottle of wine. I looked around for something to eat. Going through the cabinets... I couldn't help but notice all of her favorite snacks and foods. The little things that brought her comfort. Half-empty packages that she didn't get to finish. In the living room, there was one of those grocery store books of puzzles. A note for herself on the refrigerator. An unfinished book on the couch. Loose ends. Donovan and I had a drink, and then another. I'd been asleep for three hours and I was wide awake now. Donovan started pacing around. He gets restless when he drinks. It occurred to me that neither of us had said anything about it yet. We're very different people, but in some ways, we're very much the same. Now was as good a time as any to break the ice. So, what's the plan? I was afraid that he would seem jarred by the question. But he didn't. Well, we need to meet with the funeral home tomorrow. I've made that appointment for us. And that's as far as I've gotten. What do we do with everything? The house? Her things? Is there a will? He'd made his way to Dad's old cabinet radio. He buried his head in the cabinet where Dad kept all of his old records. Can you believe she kept all these? 
I tried to keep us on topic. He does this when he wants to change the subject. Surely the funeral home people can point us in the right direction. They probably deal with people who don't know what to do all the time. He was still crouched down and out of sight, but he was holding a record up over his head. Do you know this one? No, I don't. Let's see what it is. We talked for a little while longer. We kept drinking, too. He was texting with someone while we talked and seemed distracted. Soon, he started getting tired. He said he was fine to drive back to the city, but I made him stay. He laid back on the couch, and soon, he was asleep. I turned off the record player, and I cleaned up around the living room. I double-checked the doors and then turned off the lights, leaving the one in the bathroom on in case either of us woke up disoriented. I went back to my old bedroom and laid down. I didn't bother changing. I knew I wasn't going to fall asleep for a while. We were supposed to have gotten started today, start figuring out what was next. But it was okay to put it off a day. I think we both needed the night to decompress and reconnect a little bit. I was still wide awake in the dark house, but with my brother here, it didn't feel as menacing as it did before. There were still distant flashes outside the window, far away peals of thunder. All of a sudden, it all came back to me again. I thought about that day when I stayed home from school The day the loudspeakers at the Little League field started blaring. The way it lasted into the night. The last time I went for a drive with my dad. And then it washed over me. That familiar lump in my throat. That aching that never really goes away. I don't know how much later it was when I woke up. It had been a shallow and restless sleep. It was still dark outside. The thunder and lightning had passed on, and I could see moonlight through the curtains. It was quiet, like those nights I woke up years ago, that figure standing in my doorway. But there was nothing there. And then I noticed what had woken me up. The sound of the record player. Hadn't we turned that off? I remembered this song from when I was a kid. From the before times. I used to hear it at night when my parents thought we were asleep. And again, after he was gone. When my mom would stay up all by herself. The record player must have restarted or something. I got up and staggered into the living room. I expected to find my brother, having woken up and leaning back on the couch. His eyes closed, listening to the melody. 
or I thought maybe the grief had hit him unexpectedly and I'd find him in tears. But as I came down the hallway into the living room, the lights were still off. He was asleep. I went around the couch and I opened the top of the radio cabinet. The record was spinning inside. Someone had started up the record player, and it wasn't my brother. I pulled the needle up, and all at once the mood in the room changed again. I felt exposed with all the windows and the sliding glass doors looking out onto the property. It felt like there were eyes on me all over again. Outside, I could see the first glimpses of sunlight on the horizon. The clock on the stove said 6.20 in the morning. When I looked back to the big glass door, I could see all the way out to the tree line. And I could see something else, too. Something right at the edge of the forest. A figure wearing white. It was just visible behind the first row of trees, walking just past the brush line. It was too far away. I couldn't make out any features. It stopped from time to time and faced the house. Surely it couldn't see me. It was too far and it was too dark inside to see in. And then it turned. The figure walked deeper into the forest and then out of sight. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
I adored my grandmother when I was young. I was excited for her to come and stay with us after my dad passed. We loved it because she let us do whatever we wanted. But when her mind started to slip, that joy started to fade. She was showing signs of real decline, a fogginess of the mind. Sometimes she forgot what she was doing in the middle of a task. But early on, it only happened every once in a while. Most of the time, she was still as sharp as she'd ever been. Most of the time. She was from the eastern part of the state, up in the mountains. For most of her life, she'd lived out in the middle of nowhere. And sometimes, when her mind began to slip a little, she told us stories from back home. Stories that she probably shouldn't have been telling my brother and I at that age. She would look out at the tree line, way back at the end of our property. She went somewhere else in her mind. She told us about things that lived in the forest outside the little town where she grew up. She never told us exactly what they were, but she said that there were rules to follow if you had to be out in the trees. She said never whistle in the forest. It was like an invitation. If an animal feels off or wrong, apologize for disturbing it and walk away. Don't look too hard in between the trees at night. And, no matter what, if you're alone in the woods and someone calls your name, never, ever answer them. Run home as fast as you can. My brother was a few years younger than me, and he'd always relied on me when he got scared. When he was little, he used to say he heard voices at his window. He was sure there was something out there, but he'd grown out of it. But the night she told us that story, after we'd all gone to bed, I heard a little knocking at the door, and then my brother peeked in. It was the first time in years that he'd been scared enough to ask to come and stay with me. I pulled back the covers, and he climbed in. Then, safe and warm, with his big sister to protect him, he fell fast asleep. I wasn't used to sharing a bed, and I don't think I slept all that night. I remember laying on my side, facing the window, looking out at the night. I was the big sister, it was my job to watch out for him and keep him safe. But even so, after Grandma's stories, I found myself trying to avoid looking out the window toward the woods at the back of the property, trying not to look too hard between the trees. The next morning, I asked Mom if what Grandma had said was real. She sat me down and told me that the only things in the trees behind our house were bunnies and deer. I smiled, pretending to be reassured. But I still wasn't sure. As an adult, 
I've tried to shed, or maybe just hide, a lot of who I was back home. I've softened my accent. I live in a big city. But even so, I sometimes still think back to my grandmother's stories. And I'll look out on the orange lights of Chicago. And I'll feel as isolated and alone as I ever have. In my mind, I'm right there. In my old bed. A little girl again. I tried to go back to sleep that morning, for a little while, but I couldn't stop thinking about the figure I saw at the edge of the woods. It was probably someone just passing through. Kids cutting through the fields, maybe. Our appointment with the funeral home was set for 10 a.m. I was still lying awake when I heard my brother's phone alarm go off in the other room. We drove in silence to the funeral home, still feeling last night's whine. This was the part I'd been dreading, the part where we'd have to make decisions. This is where I felt out of my depth and out of control. I don't like either of those feelings. We met with the funeral home director. I still remembered him from when I was in high school. I'd gone to school with his kids. I shouldn't have been surprised by how old he looks now, but I was. The world doesn't stop moving just because I moved away. He explained the whole process. He was professional and comforting, a skill developed over a lifetime in this line of work. He was good at what he did. Mom had already bought the spot next to my dad in the town cemetery, so that part was easy. They'd already made up little sample programs with her name, Angela. It was always strange to see her full name. She'd always gone by Angie. They walked us through how the visitation service would work and showed us options for caskets. I felt bad, because my lack of sleep meant that I wasn't as focused as I would have liked to have been. But all in all, it went well. The part that I thought would be the scariest was over. But as we discussed the visitation service, something new took its place. Somehow, I hadn't allowed myself to consider that we'd have to stand up in the front and greet all of my mom's visitors. I'd been to funerals before. I knew how it worked. But I'd blocked that part out. In addition to all of my mom's loved ones, I knew that another group of people would likely be there. Everyone I'd known in high school, at least the ones that stayed in town. And worse, it would be over the holiday, so even people who hadn't stayed in town could turn up. God damn it. After the meeting, my brother dropped me back off at Mom's house. He was going back to the city to grab a few days' worth of clothes. Why he hadn't packed in the first place was beyond me, but that's just always who he'd been. He said he'd be back that night, but I knew he might wait to drive back until the morning. It occurred to me that I had no idea what his life in Lexington was like, not any more than he knew about my life in Chicago. 
Now that we were the only ones left, it felt like that should change. The storm the night before had blown in cold air. The temperature dropped to nearly freezing. My weather app said that tomorrow it would be back in a normal range. This time of year, the weather is unpredictable. It was a little before noon. I ate lunch, and when I finished, I laid down on the couch and fell sound asleep. I woke up to the sound of my brother coming in the front door. I groaned and rolled over, pressing my face into the couch cushion. My brother's apartment in Lexington was an hour away. If he'd been there and come back, how long had I been asleep? I took a heavy breath before rolling back over and opening my eyes. Mm. What time is it? There wasn't a response. I raised up and glanced into the kitchen. He wasn't there, but the front door was cracked open. I stood up, feeling alarmed. I thought of the figure I'd seen at the back of the property this morning. Did someone else come in? I slowly made my way to the door, and when I got there, I peeked outside. The only car in the driveway was my rental. My heart was racing, and the edges of my vision went red with adrenaline. I needed to get out of here. I was in a panic. My keys. Where are my keys? Just then, down by the road at the end of the driveway, I saw something. My brother's car pulling in. I ran outside and I stood in the driveway. I left the door standing wide open. I stood there in the cold, without my coat or shoes, waiting as he took his time coming up the drive. He had no idea anything was wrong. Why would he hurry? The whole time, I kept my eyes on the front door. Hey, uh... What are you doing? I think someone might be in the house. What? His expression changed as he registered what I'd said. Uh, are, are you sure? Mm-hmm. He rushed to his car and opened the back door. He produced a baseball bat from the floorboard. Wait here. He marched inside and I waited in the driveway. I watched the door for what felt like forever. There was no sound from inside. On the horizon, there were dark clouds again. It was far away, but another storm would be rolling in. There was a feeling on the wind. I'm not sure how long it was, but he eventually came back out. I looked in every closet and under every bed. There's no one here. When we were back inside, I told him what had happened. I was sleeping on the couch, the door opening. He suggested that maybe it just didn't latch all the way when he left. The wind was picking up, and it must have pushed it open. It made sense, 
I didn't check it before I laid down. But I told him I could feel it. I just knew. There was a presence in the house. We walked through the house again, together this time. It's not that I don't trust him. I guess I just needed to see for myself. We had a meeting with Mom's lawyer that afternoon. He offered to meet us at the house instead of his office. The will was simple. My brother and I would split everything. Her lawyer also brought over the contents of a safety deposit box from Mom's bank. We didn't know she had one and probably wouldn't have thought to ask. Among other things, there were two envelopes in the box, our names written on them, Donovan and Holly. Are we supposed to open these now? It's up to you. They're personal, not a part of the will. Is there anything else you need from us? Nope, that's all. You know, I went to school with your mom, and she was always a very kind, very earnest person. Yeah, thanks. I wasn't sure what to say. Well, if you need anything else or have any questions, feel free to reach out. We thanked him, and he left. Sometimes I forget that everyone in this town knows each other. I turned the envelope over in my hands. I knew what it was before I even opened it. It was one of those, if you're reading this, letters. And I wasn't ready to open it yet. The funeral was still four days away, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and I had plans to go back to Chicago on Sunday. It felt like forever. I missed my apartment, my friends, my routine. After the lawyer was gone, my brother spoke up. Are you going to open yours? I told him that I was going to wait, and I could see the disappointment on his face. Yeah, uh, I'll wait too. So, should we get started? It felt wrong to start taking apart the house, dividing everything into piles, things we would sell, keep, or give away, things that other relatives might want. Since disrupting the feel of the house isn't what either of us wanted, we left the upstairs alone for now and started in the basement. That was going to be the biggest part of the job anyway. We opened up the old boxes, mostly storage, Things you think you might use again, but probably won't. Things you'll give away someday. Holiday decorations waiting for their season to come back around. A thought occurred to me then, that she'd had no idea when she boxed up the Christmas tree and put away the wreaths and the lights, that she wouldn't be getting them out again. And in the same way, when Donovan and I left and went our separate ways after last Christmas, we had no idea that it would be the last one. You let your life fall into regular, predictable patterns, and you let yourself believe that they'll go on forever. While we were going through the basement, we found lots of our things from when we were little, things we'd forgotten all about. But she hadn't. Old toys, 
tons of photos, our graduations from kindergarten to first grade. I even found that old camcorder Mom bought after Dad passed. And there were some of my dad's things. Most of it she'd gotten rid of years ago. But there were pictures and little artifacts. Things from another time. Things that had meaning to them. But now that they're both gone, that meaning is lost to time. And there's no one left to remember it. I've always had a hard time wrapping my head around the impermanence of moments like these. I'd like to believe that all of those moments kind of hang in the air and color a place. Like a sort of energy. Like a ghost. I just don't think I want to see a bunch of people right now. Come on. It'll be good for us to get our minds off everything for a while. Seriously, it's fine if you go. I'm just not feeling it. There's going to be people you know there too. It won't just be my friends. Just think about it. I told him I would, but I had no intention of actually going. It was Tuesday. Tomorrow was the night before Thanksgiving. My brother was trying to convince me to go out to the only bar in town. My brother and I are different in a few important ways. He's able to compartmentalize these things, even in the depths of mourning. It's not that he doesn't care. It's more like a release valve for him. And he'll let it out a little at a time for however long it takes. But not me. I fall hard, and I'm not in control of the emotions. I crash hard and fast. And then, one day, I wake up, and the fog has lifted. The funeral home referred us to a husband and wife team that helps people organize and sell items in estate sales. My brother had already put out a call to them. They'd be available to meet Sunday before I left for Chicago. Anything that we wanted to keep would have to be taken from the house before they started, or it might get mixed up and sold. So we began the process of packing up boxes. We made two piles, things each of us wanted to hang on to. I noticed after a while just how many more photos we had of Mom than Dad. She'd lived longer, so obviously there was just more time. But Dad had died long before smartphones and the ability to take photos and video anytime, anywhere. I had tons of photos and videos of Mom on my phone, but none of my dad. After a couple of hours, my brother loaded a few of the smaller items from his stack into his car, leaving the rest for another day. He was planning to stay back at his apartment for the night. We needed to get a storage unit and figure out how to get some of the things I wanted to hang on to back to Chicago. I couldn't take it all on the plane. As he started down the driveway, it occurred to me that I'd never seen his apartment or anywhere that he'd lived since he moved away. 
He'd never seen my place in Chicago either. When I came home to visit, we always just met at Mom's house. Are you sure you don't want me to come back? I don't mind if you don't want to be alone there. I told him I'd be fine. The events earlier in the day, the door opening on its own, it was already feeling like a silly little thing. I went back downstairs and kept looking through old photos. I found a photo album from high school. Lots of pictures of me and my friends. One friend in particular, my best friend Erica. There were a couple of years when she was just as much a fixture at the house as me or Donovan. My mom had thought of her as a second daughter, and even well into adulthood, long after I'd moved away, she would ask if we were still in touch, and she'd tell me any time they bumped into each other in town. I moved away for college, but Erica had stayed close. She went to school in Louisville, but came back home, and she's been here ever since. I couldn't help but smile as I flipped through page after page of photos. Sleepovers, school trips, prom night. There was a photo of us in the backyard, in our dresses, hair, and makeup. In the photo, the sun was setting, giving us that perfect lighting. The backyard stretching out forever behind us, the tree line far off in the distance. Erica and I had stayed in touch. We followed each other on all of our social media. She'd messaged me last night, and I'd seen it come through, but I hadn't read it yet. I should write her back. She'll be wondering if it's been too long, and if she overstepped. I pulled the photo from its sleeve, and I used my phone to take a picture of it. I opened up the message Erica sent last night. I wrote, going through mom's things, and attached the photo before hitting send. I decided to call it a day. It was getting late, and I hadn't had much to eat. I noticed my brother had put that old camcorder that mom bought in his stack of things, along with a box of tapes. I thought it was strange, but I didn't want it, so what did I care? I went upstairs and made a sandwich. The back deck looks over the property. Acres and acres of grass, gently sloping down to the tree line. I thought of mine and Erica's prom photo, and looked down at the spot in the backyard where we would have been standing. Just kids, feeling all grown up for the first time. The light was getting low. The sun had already fallen behind the trees. I could feel a coming storm in the air. The wind had been picking up all day. This might be the last nice day of the year. I watched absently, the sun falling over the trees, when I heard something. It pulled me out of my days. I sat up, more alert now. It sounded like my name, but it couldn't have been. Maybe a neighbor calling their dog. It only sounds like my name from a distance and with an echo. Ah! 
This time, I stood up and looked out into the field. I leaned out over the side of the railing to see if there was a car in the driveway. There wasn't. I was about to call out, Hello? Is someone out there? But just before I did, I remembered the stories my grandmother told me when she lived with us. Her rules for when we were playing out back. Never whistle if you're in the forest. Don't look too hard between the trees at night. If an animal looks wrong, apologize for disturbing it and walk away. And if you hear someone calling your name from the trees, don't answer them. There was a moment of pause. The wind died off, and the land and the air seemed to stand still. I stayed there like that for a moment. But then I came to my senses. I cupped my hands around my mouth and yelled. Hello? 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 No answer. I listened for a moment longer. I had an uneasy feeling. The same feeling I'd had earlier in the day. That there was a presence nearby. Like I was being watched. I walked to the patio door and went inside faster than I'd like to admit. It was like the feeling of turning off the basement lights and then running up the stairs. Once I was inside, I still couldn't get comfortable. I tried to distract myself, turning on the TV for background noise, scrolling through my phone. I messaged my friends in Chicago, anything to distract myself. None of it worked. As the sun set and the windows grew dark, I couldn't shake the feeling, and it was growing into a low-grade panic. The house felt different when my brother was here, less threatening, but he wasn't coming back tonight. I started gathering my things. I wasn't sure where I was going, but the thought of being here as the night grew later and later, I couldn't do it. The whole time it felt silly. It felt childish. But it also felt safe. And right now, I needed to feel safe. Just before the final rays of light disappeared over the western horizon and the orange and pink sky turned to dark, I stepped out the front door and walked quickly to my car, looking over my shoulder and all around me as I went. I checked the back and locked the doors as soon as I was in the driver's seat. I started the car and pointed my headlights down the long driveway toward the county road. Every mile from the house, I felt a little safer. I drove into town, all the way through until I got to the little cluster of gas stations, fast food, and my town's only hotel by the interstate exit. It didn't look like the rest of town, and that was exactly what I wanted. I sat in the parking lot for a little while, just letting myself relax, watching the cars and trucks on the interstate. I told myself it was just for one night. I got myself together and went inside. 
A girl, maybe college age, maybe a little older, checked me into a room on the second floor. When I look at her, I imagine what my life might be like if I hadn't left. There was a time when I could have been happy here. Before my dad died, I'd really loved this town. All of my friends were here. I didn't mind that it was small. Sure, it was all I knew. But I was happy. Afterward, though, there were so many memories. And they all made me sad. I was more withdrawn from my friends. All of those relationships started to fray. I started to feel detached from this place that I loved. This happens to all kids at some point. The magic of childhood begins to slip away. Kids naturally pull away from their families, too. I'd always blamed my mom and her grief for the distance between us, her inability to give my brother and I what we needed during that awful year. And I think some of that is still true. But maybe I also played a role in it. Maybe that very natural moment when kids start to pull away and look for independence. Maybe that just happened to come along at the worst time in all of our lives. And it disguised itself there. One of the curses of adulthood is the ordeal of coming to see the past more clearly than you did in the moment. Coming to see yourself for who you really were. Once I was settled into the hotel room, I opened up the curtains. My room was on the back side of the building, facing away from the interstate and into the vast expanse of darkness beyond. Erica and I had traded a few messages now. She had said how sorry she was for my loss, how devastated she was when she heard. Of course she was. She and my mom had been so close. She mentioned that she'd be going out to Shelley's, the only bar in town, tomorrow. And if I wanted to come out, she'd love to see me. It was the same place my brother wanted to go, and I still didn't feel like it. But I wanted to see Erica. I told her I'd let her know in the morning. The longer I was away from the house, the more silly it felt to be afraid of it. I got ready for bed, I put on a pair of sweatpants, and just as I was about to close up my suitcase, I noticed something. The letter from my mom, the one that the lawyer had given to my brother and me. I'd put it in there so it didn't get mixed up with the things we were going to put in storage. I thought about opening it up, but it wasn't the right time. Not in a hotel room. It should be somewhere familiar, cozy. Somewhere that I can really take in whatever it is she decided she wanted to leave me with. It should be her house, where she probably wrote it. Or my place back in Chicago, where I'd feel at home. Not here. I closed the suitcase, and finally, after being up for almost two days straight, I laid back on the bed, and I fell asleep fast and hard.
When I woke up the next morning, it took a moment to get my bearings. There was a gray, diffused light coming in the window, and I could hear rain. It was Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving. I looked at my phone, messages from friends in Chicago, a couple of messages from old friends here in town. It was after 10 in the morning. I'd slept like a rock. Checkout time was 11, and I needed to get my things together and get out. I forced myself to get up. It felt so silly in the light of day, spending money on a hotel room because I was a little spooked, because I was afraid of being there in the dark. Driving back to mom's house, I didn't feel any trepidation at all. I swung the front door open and dropped my bag on the couch in the living room. The day before Thanksgiving. In the kitchen, I could see that mom had started assembling the beginnings of a Thanksgiving dinner. Not everything. You can't get the perishables too early. But there was the skeleton of a plan. A bag of potatoes, cranberry sauce, and boxes of stuffing mix in the pantry casserole dishes out of the cabinets in anticipation apple cider in the fridge she'd been looking forward to this it was my brother letting me know he was on his way it was 11.30 and he'd be here around 1pm I looked around the kitchen something about letting all of that planning go to waste didn't sit right with me I wrote back do you want to meet at the grocery? I didn't tell him why I wanted to meet at the grocery store. He thought I just wanted to pick up food for us while we were going through the house. And that wasn't entirely untrue. But when it became clear that I was trying to throw together a Thanksgiving dinner, he was skeptical. Holly, have you ever actually made mashed potatoes? Or cooked a turkey? It doesn't matter, because they're out of turkeys. But we have this. A rotisserie chicken. Would you rather I cooked a whole chicken? Oh, my God, no. The, the rotisserie chicken is fine. It doesn't have to be a big deal, you know? I was just looking around the kitchen, and I could see that she had already started getting ready. It feels like, you know... Maybe, in a little way, we can still have our last Thanksgiving with her? Saying it out loud, our last Thanksgiving with her, I felt a dropping sensation in my chest. There's no pressure. It's just us, and we're not trying to impress anyone. Here. If we completely fuck it up, we'll just do frozen pizza and wine. Come on! It'll be fun! And if it's not, we'll just give up. He looked a little more relaxed. I think realizing that it wasn't going to be a big, awkward production made him feel better. I think he could also tell that he wasn't going to win this. Okay, we've got chicken, potatoes, and cranberry sauce at home, and we need a vegetable. Oh my god, who are you texting? Can we just get through this, please? Sorry, I'm talking to a girl. Well, she can wait until we're done shopping. So, 
I've been thinking, maybe we should think about starting our own traditions. I've never been to your apartment, and you've never even seen my place in Chicago. I mean, you're welcome to come and see my place if you want to. No, that, that's not what I mean. I mean, what if we, like, took turns hosting stuff like this? Yeah, yeah, we should do that. I don't know what I expected when I brought it up, but it was the kind of response that we always give each other. Yeah, we'll catch up sometime. Yeah, I'll come visit. But we never did. We just weren't that close. But we were fine. It had always just been fine. You know, Mom's always just kind of been what kept us coming back, and... And if we don't make an effort, we'll just float away, you know? It was coming on too strong now. I wasn't going to be able to stop. Why did it have to be here? And, and what if this is the last time that we have somewhere to go? What if this is it? What if, what if nowhere ever really feels like home again? I never got to make things better. I'm not ready to be alone yet. I'm not ready to be alone. Hey, hey. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. We're gonna be okay. After my grocery store breakdown, we came back to the house in our separate cars. As we passed the edge of town... I caught myself glancing over at Ecton Park, the one where, all those years ago, my dad and I went out to solve the mystery of the Little League loudspeakers. It was a rainy day, and it was getting colder as the day went on. Thinking back to that summer, it was like another world and another time. I remember being a kid and the feeling of being bored. I never feel bored anymore. Not in the same way you do when you're a kid. Like when you're waiting for life to start and you're just passing the time. Like life is infinite. My meltdown at the grocery store had been cathartic, and I felt better than any time since I'd come home. Back at Mom's house, my brother and I got back to work, going through everything in the basement. We'd barely made a dent in it yesterday, But once we finished it, whenever that would be, the rest of the house would go by fast. That initial feeling yesterday, that everything was precious and should be handled with immense care, was gone. We were moving faster, a bit more eager to throw out things that were obviously not worth saving and that we had no connection to. But there was a warmth to it. In a way, it was like exploring your own life and seeing it all again. There was still that sinking feeling when I saw a photo I'd forgotten about or found something of my dad's mixed in with her things. But it didn't feel like despair. It was an appreciation for a time that can never come back. I knew this wasn't the end of my morning. It was just the beginning. There will be more meltdowns. A thousand little moments when I remember that she's gone. I've done this before. To a certain extent, I know how it will go. All of those moments will come, and they'll go. 
And at some point, they become normal. And I'll feel normal again, too. But normal will just mean something a little bit different than it did before. It was Erica, my friend from high school. She was checking back in, seeing if I'd made my mind up about coming out tonight. I told her I had, and that I'd see her there. We made a lot of progress on the basement that day, and when we finished, Donovan was glued to his phone like he'd been at the grocery store. Erica and I planned to meet there at 9, and she was going to text me when she was on her way. My brother and his friends were going earlier, and while I wanted to see Erica, I didn't want to hang out with people I didn't know until she got there. He left as the sun was going down and the house was getting dark. I watched the taillights of his car make their way down the big hill toward the road, and I felt a sense of dread come over me. But this time, I decided I wasn't going to let that feeling take over. But it wasn't easy. I made some dinner, and then I took a shower and started getting ready. I hadn't really packed any clothes for going out, but I made something work. When I finished, I went into the living room. It was 8.30. I checked my phone. Nothing from Erica. I paced around for a little bit. The air inside the house was getting chilly as the temperature plummeted outside. I found the thermostat and turned on the heat. I was really feeling the quiet of the place. It was almost too much. Donovan had said he wasn't planning on going back to Lexington tonight. And as silly as it was, I was feeling relieved. I knew that I would feel fine just as long as someone else was here with me. I saw my phone screen light up. A text from Erica saying she was on her way. I grabbed my things and started out the door. I didn't come home for my 10-year reunion, but there's another kind of reunion that happens every year in small towns across the Midwest. After high school, people spread out. They go to college, they move to the city for work. You've never thought to imagine your town without all of the people you know. Before you even realize it's happening, the first era of your life is over. The people who stay take over family businesses, or they just never saw any reason to go. But the night before the holidays, all of those people who spread out across the country, they come home. They make plans for the night before and everyone ends up at the town bar. Small towns with one high school and one middle school are unique. Everyone knows everyone, and you've known everyone for a long time. There's a certain connection and camaraderie you feel for the people you grew up with. You didn't get to choose them, but they're the people you went through awkward phases with, the subjects of your first physical attractions, the people who saw you at your worst and at your finest. And for better or for worse, they all played a role in the person you became. When people come home those first couple of years, all of the old politics are still there. 
everyone is still more or less the same person they used to be. But time also has a way of smoothing over old troubles. People change and mature. So do you. And as people settle into their new lives, as they begin traditions of their own, the group begins to shrink. And somewhere along the way, you find yourself no longer in touch with the people who meant the world to you back then, but you're more in line with others. It's been a long time since I went out the night before Thanksgiving. In recent years, I've usually just arrived after a long drive or a flight. I didn't feel like going out. Besides, now we're able to keep in touch in ways that previous generations were never able to. We can watch from afar, from our phones, as this little reunion plays out day by day. You can't help but root for them, to feel pride and joy and, yes, sometimes a little schadenfreude. But at the end of the day, these people are a part of who you are. So we root for each other. And, in my case, we mourn for each other too. The bar was called Shelley's. It's the kind of place that's a restaurant during the day, and then they close up the kitchen and serve drinks until closing. It's at the far end of an old shopping center. Years ago, there'd been a Kmart, a radio shack, and a video rental place. Now, the old Kmart was a call center, and most of the other spaces were empty. Erica spotted me from the door. Holly! I made my way over, and she stood up to greet me. Hey! Mm, I am so sorry about your mom. I smiled and thanked her. We made our way to the bar to get drinks. I looked around the room. The people in the bar were younger than I expected. It shouldn't surprise me. My peers and I were aging out of this tradition. I saw a few people I recognized around the room. And then there was my brother and his friends across the bar. He spotted me and raised a bottle as a greeting. He was already tipsy. It looked like I'd be driving us both home tonight. Erica and I found a table. She'd stayed in town after high school. She'd been married, and now they were separated. The terms of the divorce were still being ironed out. I knew all of this from social media, and she knew that I knew, but it felt good to talk about it. I told her I was sorry to hear that it hadn't worked out. Thank God we didn't have kids, that's all I can say. We talked a little while longer, and neither of us brought up mom. I saw a couple of other familiar faces come in the front door. Erica waved and they waved back. I remembered that they were a couple of years behind us in school. I watched as they got drinks and then went over to my brother's table. One of them settled in next to Donovan. I could already see the tension there. They were trying to play it cool around their friends, but everyone knew what was happening. Even me, all the way across the room. So that's who he's been talking to. I was trying to remember her name, and as if reading my mind, Erica spoke up. That's Kara Clemens with your brother, and the other one is Jenna Mills. Do you remember them? 
Oh my God, that's Calamity Clemens. The one and only. Kara Clemens had an inner ear problem and she often lost her balance. The nickname Calamity Clemens didn't actually come from her fellow classmates. A couple of teachers were overheard using it and then it took off among the other kids. God, I know she hated it back then. What a badass nickname. Completely wasted on her back then. She should bring it back. It is never too late to reinvent yourself. So, how's Chicago? What's going on with you? Things are fine. Nothing too exciting. I don't know. I'm just kind of stuck. I mean, I love my friends and I love the city, but I'm just in a rut and I don't know how to get out of it. And then, you know, all of this happens. I'm so sorry. It doesn't feel real yet. Do you want to talk about it? No, thank you, but no. I really just want to be distracted for a while, if that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. We sipped our drinks in silence and looked around the bar. It was filling with younger people as the night went on. The parents they were coming home to visit have gone to bed. It was strange to be here, on this night, and not recognize most of the people. Places move on without you. We talked for a while longer, while the rest of the bar ebbed and flowed around us. But by midnight, we were both getting tired. I looked around for my brother, but I couldn't find him. The group he'd been with was still there, minus him and Calamity. It was so good to see you, and I'm so sorry. Oh, thank you so much. We walked outside, and to our surprise, the rain had stopped. And in the time we'd been inside, it had turned to snow. Big, fluffy flakes falling all around us, sticking to the grass. You sure you're okay going home by yourself? I already knew what had happened with Donovan. His car was still in the parking lot. He must have ridden with her. I wanted to tell Erica that I wasn't ready to go home by myself, to see if she wanted to stay on the couch, but I wasn't going to embarrass myself like that. I told her I'd be fine. As she walked away, she stopped. Hey, remember when your mom used to tell us not to answer if someone said our name from the trees? That was my grandmother, wasn't it? No, I never met your grandmother, remember? I must have made a face. I must have let what I was feeling show. Because she immediately started apologizing. I told her it was fine. Everything was fine. I think that Erica thought I was overcome with sadness at the memory. But I wasn't. It was shock and fear. I tried to figure out how she could have heard that from my grandmother. But Erica was right. We didn't know each other before my grandmother passed. Mom had always disregarded my grandmother's stories. Had I just tuned her out? Or did something happen after my grandmother died that made my mom reconsider? Had mom seen something in the house? 
I could tell that Erica felt awful, and I hated that. I insisted everything was fine, she didn't do anything wrong, and we did one more round of goodbyes. Hey, I'll see you Saturday, at the service. I pretended to go to my car, but as soon as Erica pulled away, I went back inside. Donovan's friends were still sitting where they'd been all night. I approached the group and I asked if they'd seen him. They told me he left with Calamity about an hour before. The way they said it, I did not get the impression that he was going to be coming back. Typical. I sent him a text anyway, hoping that he was, in fact, planning on coming back. A few minutes passed and there was no response. I didn't want to be alone in that house tonight. I sent my brother another text. Maybe things didn't work out with Calamity. Maybe he'd ended up back at Mom's house after all. I took a chance and drove to the hotel by the interstate, the one where I'd stayed the night before. The snow was building up on the tops of parked cars. The same girl was working the desk, but tonight, there weren't any rooms. It was the night before a holiday, after all, and it was the only hotel in town. She apologized and asked if I wanted her to try to find a room in Lexington. I told her no. It was fine. Back in the car, I gathered myself. I repeated again and again that there's nothing to be afraid of. I pointed my headlights toward the edge of town, out into the darkness. I've always been a night owl. In middle school, I started staying up late in the summer. My parents thought it was harmless. No reason to have a strict bedtime on summer break. And when school started, I still stayed up on the weekends. When my bedtime came, I would lie awake until I heard my mom and dad go to bed. I'd wait until I thought they were asleep, and I'd get up and wander around the house. It was the closest I'd ever had to being home alone. After Dad was gone, there was a winter night when we were expecting snow. I stayed up, waiting for it, hoping school would be canceled in the morning. I had a lamp by my bed. It gave off a yellow light. I was probably reading a book, drawing, or doing something else to pass the time. And then, despite my plan to stay up and watch the snow, I fell asleep. 
I woke up in the middle of the night. The lamp by my bed was still on, and it was still dark outside. The alarm clock said that it was after three in the morning. I looked over at my window, and I couldn't see anything because of the lamplight reflecting off of the glass. When I reached over to turn it off, the room went dark. And that's when I saw it. The night sky was bright white. And then I saw the flakes of snow drifting softly and silently past my window. I crawled over to the edge of my bed and looked outside. It was a sheet of white as far as I could see. The gentle downhill slope of the tree line, the branches of the trees were covered too. But there was something else. Something was moving out there. Lots of somethings. It took a second to register. Rabbits. There were dozens and dozens of rabbits, hopping along and leaving little tracks in the fresh snow. I watched them for what felt like forever. They were just going about their business, completely unaware that they had an audience. After Dad was gone, in the quiet of the night, I used to think that I could hear his voice across the house, from the driveway, from the backyard, and this night was no exception. While I watched the rabbits, I heard his voice in the wind, in the creaks and the pops of the wood floor. I'd hear it when the heat kicked on, but it was just my mind wanting something that I could never get back. As the clock crept closer to four in the morning, and then five, I watched them, one by one, make their way back toward the tree line, retreating to their burrows where they'd sleep the day away. And meanwhile, the snow kept falling, smoothing out their little footprints, all those trails of rabbits' feet. It only took a few minutes for the snow to cover them completely. And it was like... They were never there. I would dream about them too, the rabbits. I remember a dream that began with me opening the sliding door and stepping onto the deck, looking over the back of the property. I was barefoot. There was snow under my feet, but it didn't bother me. The wood creaked like it was straining against the cold, and in front of me, there was the expanse of white and the dozens of rabbits going about their business, hopping to and fro. I saw a light, like a lantern moving through the trees, that didn't seem out of place in the dream. I don't know how long it took me to notice it, but something had changed. The air became still. The snow muffles sound, but the silence was sudden and heavy. I brought my attention back to the rabbits below me in the snow. They'd all stopped what they were doing, all of them, and they were looking at me. Hundreds of little rabbits' eyes focused on me, and there was something else. They were standing up on their back legs, all of them, 
as they watched me. I felt panic begin to well up in my limbs and my chest. I could all of a sudden feel the cold on my body. Just before the panic took hold, I remembered what my grandmother had said. If you see an animal that doesn't look right, apologize for disturbing it and walk away. The words came out through shivering teeth. I'm sorry to bother you. I moved away from the railing, keeping my eyes on them as I felt myself back against the sliding door. Nothing moved. Even the lantern making its way through the trees came to a stop. I felt around for the handle and backed my way through the door. And from the window I watched as the rabbits, one by one, went back to their business. I got back to Mom's house after parting ways with Erica at the bar. Just as I anticipated, Donovan wasn't there. I wasn't surprised, but I was irritated. He'd gone home with Calamity Clemens, which would have been fine in any other circumstance. But I was scared, and maybe I didn't have the right to be mad at him. But I was. I hadn't told him that I was afraid of being alone in the house. But also... It was the night before Thanksgiving. It was a night that we'd always been home with Mom. I'd come in from Chicago. He'd drive over from Lexington. It was a time we'd always been together. Hadn't we said in the grocery store, when I had my little breakdown, that we were going to do better, to make sure things didn't fall apart without Mom here to hold us together? Had it just been about humoring me, Getting past that moment, did it really mean anything at all? I shouldn't be like this. He and I are different. He doesn't like to process his feelings alone. I would get over it, but not until the light of day. Not until this anxious feeling passed. I walked into the house. I crept into every room looking for something out of place. Something or someone that shouldn't be there. Desperately trying to regain that feeling of security, of safety. I looked in every closet and under every bed. At some point, I was finally satisfied that I was alone and I allowed myself to relax. But even then, I was aware of every pop, creak, and crack of the settling house. It was almost one in the morning. I was still amped up from the noise and all of the people at the bar. But underneath it, I was exhausted and ready for bed. I made my way back to the guest room, my childhood bedroom. I changed into a t-shirt and sweatpants. I left the kitchen light on so some of it would filter its way under the crack in the door just like I did when I was a kid. I compulsively checked the doors one more time. They were locked. I closed my bedroom door and reached over to the lamp by the bed. When I turned off the light, I was struck by how bright the room was, the clouds reflecting bright white, 
the silvery blue night projecting the shape of the window frame on the far wall of the room. The snow was tapering away. Only a few flakes were still gliding down. I looked out, and there they were. Dozens of rabbits, hopping around, doing whatever rabbits do. Just like when I was a kid. I watched them for a minute. That magic I felt as a little girl, it wasn't the same. Life has a way of dulling the edges around moments like these. But there was a twinge of nostalgia, and for a moment, I could pretend. I laid down, looking up at the ceiling. Almost right away, I could feel myself fading. I remembered that dream I used to have, the light from what might have been a lantern being carried through the trees, the rabbits on their hind legs, all staring at me. The stories from my grandmother about animals in the forest not being what they seemed. In my exhaustion, it wasn't scary. It was somehow cozy. Something else happened in those last moments before I fell asleep, just like when I was a kid, right after my dad was gone. I felt something, a presence nearby. I woke up the next morning to my phone buzzing. It was Donovan. I looked at the time. It was a few minutes after 7 a.m. He said he needed a ride back to his car. I told him I'd be over when I got up. There was another text. The sooner the better, he said. I rolled my eyes and sat up. Get an Uber, I told him. There was a response almost immediately. There isn't Uber in this town. Right away, the phone started ringing. What? Hey, can you get here soon? Get where? You didn't bother to say where you were going last night? I knew exactly where he was. And he knew that I knew exactly where he was, too. But I wasn't going to make this easy for him. I just woke up. It's going to take a minute. But she's got to get ready for the holiday with her family, so please, just as soon as you can. Wait, why are you whispering? What? She's not even awake yet, is she? <gasps> You're sneaking out before she wakes up? Jesus Christ, please, just come get me as soon as you can. Send me the address. We hung up and I got dressed. But I didn't rush. He made his bed. He can lie in it. It was almost 8 a.m. when I pulled up in front of the address he'd sent me. I started typing out a message letting him know I was here. But before I could finish, I saw him slinking out the front door and pulling it shut as quietly as he could. He half walked, half jogged to the car. Thanks for coming to get me. You know, you don't have to whisper anymore. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, how's Calamity Clemens? You know, turns out she still really doesn't like that name. Really? Calamity Clemens is such a cool name. Right? I can see why she wouldn't have liked it in high school, but it really grows on you. I guess she wasn't able to shake the association. So, think you're going to see her again? No. I... I don't think so. It was typical, and true to form, but it also wasn't my place to comment on it. There was a long pause where neither of us knew what to say. Finally, he spoke up. Sorry for not telling you where I was going last night. Yeah? I just got kind of tunnel-visioned, you know? I bet you did. Jesus, sorry. It's fine. It's just that, you know, you haven't been around at all. I thought you were going to stay there two nights ago, and you didn't. You bailed again last night. And I know we've never really been close, so if you just don't want to spend time around me, that's fine too. Just tell me what it is so I can at least know how I should act around you. That's not what it is, and you know it. What do you mean, I know it? You won't talk to me. I don't know anything. It's because I can't stand that house. It's fine when it's full of people, when it's you and mom, but but when it's quiet, when I'm there by myself, I can't stand it. There was a tense silence in the car. The house creeps you out, too? Yeah, it always has. It occurred to me then that he'd been there. He'd been at the house the night before I came home. He'd been at the house. I realized then that I hadn't asked how Mom had been found. Finally, it clicked. He'd probably not been able to get an answer from her on the phone. Or he was just stopping by. He still has a key, just like I do. God damn it. The night he called me, he was probably there. Donovan, did you find Mom? He didn't say anything for a long moment. It's not that. Not really. Have you read Mom's letter? No. I was hanging on to it until it felt right. Have you? We were pulling into the bar. The parking lot had been packed the night before, but now it was just his car and a couple of others. Abandoned for the night. A layer of snow on top of them all. Let's talk about it later. Are you going back to the house? Yeah. Where else would I go? I sat in the parking lot while he knocked the snow off of his car. If he was afraid of the house, too, does that mean that it's not just in my head? I'm not just letting the circumstances get to me? And what did he mean when he asked about Mom's letter? When he'd cleaned off the car and started the engine, I pulled out of the parking lot. He was right behind me. There were no cars coming in either direction. We drove through a silent and motionless town. It was Thanksgiving morning. 
When we got back to the house, it felt like there was a sort of reset. I took a shower, and Donovan laid down on the couch and went back to sleep for a little while. Around noon, we got ourselves together and started trying to make our very own Thanksgiving dinner. We knew we were starting pretty late in the day. Mom had always gotten everything started the night before. We peeled potatoes and then boiled them. Neither of us knew what to use to mash them, but we figured it out. The online recipe I was following had us add what seemed like an unreasonable amount of butter and then salt. I'd never really tried to make a big meal before. It was always so intimidating and also, I'd never really had to. It turns out that the mashed potatoes were really the only thing we had to prepare. Heating up the rotisserie chicken only took a few minutes in the oven, and the canned cranberry sauce and store-bought pumpkin pie took a grand total of two minutes. We were done a little after 1 p.m. So much for a late dinner. The chicken was fine. The pumpkin pie and cranberry sauce were both good. And somehow, we'd managed to make the mashed potatoes taste like absolutely nothing. And even though the food could have been better, it was still nice spending time together. We'd been thrown into it this first time. We didn't have a chance to prepare or learn what we were doing. But next time, we'd know what to do. After lunch, it was my turn to take a nap. My brother had woken me up early, after all. I thought about Calamity Clemens, waking up alone. What a way to start the holiday. Donovan was an asshole. But he was my brother. As I was drifting off, I could hear him fumbling around with the record player again. Then, one of Dad's old albums began to play. Later that night, we finally circled back to what we'd talked about that morning in the car. When he told me he was afraid of the house, too. When he asked if I'd read Mom's letter. We'd been avoiding it all day. We settled into the living room, and he showed me the letter Mom left for him. He handed it over, and I read Mom's handwriting. For the most part, it was exactly what I'd expected. An accounting of pride and how she admired the person he'd become. A few platitudes of wisdom. She said that life is about choices. She said you have to choose the people that choose you and put your energy there with them. It was only a page or so, but I read it slowly. I was aware that there would be precious few moments from here onward where I'd see new words from her. It was all as expected, until the very end. In the last paragraph, the letter took a turn. She wrote, I know that you've made a life for yourself in the city. I know it's hard to pick up and start over. But this house was mine and your father's dream home. We used to dream about retiring here 
and eventually passing it on to you or your sister. It would make us proud to know that it stayed in the family. It's a good house. It's sturdy, a solid foundation, lots of light. It's been a good place to make a life. And I hope that one of you will hold on to it. Settle down and make a life here, just like we did. It's okay if you don't. But if you do decide to stay, please stay away from the forest. I thought back to the first morning we were here in the house, seeing the first hints of dawn and the figure on the edge of the woods. But mostly, I thought about my grandmother and her warnings. What do you think? But she always told us that stuff wasn't real. Yeah, but you know better, right? I mean, I kind of forgot about it for a while since I moved out, but it was always in the back of my mind when I lived here. I knew it sounded crazy, but I also knew that it sounded right. Nothing about his words surprised me. Remember when we used to see the kids in the forest, right, trying to get us to come and play? When we went down to the edge of the trees and we'd hear them? It always happened at sunset, or at dawn, or in the half-light. But you could hear them all night long sometimes. That's why I used to come and sleep with you as a kid. But why is it such a big deal that kids played in the forest? That's what kids do. They play in the woods. It's normal. Holly, there were no kids living anywhere around here. There never have been. And first thing in the morning... If they walked all the way through the woods to get to our side, they'd have to start way before it was light out. What kids are going to do that? What parents would let them? I didn't know what to say. My mind was racing. All at once, it was a relief to know that I wasn't alone. But hearing it from him made it real. There's one more thing. I saw this a couple days ago, and... I didn't know what to do with it. He made his way down the stairs and back up again. He brought the camcorder back up with him. The one Mom bought and, to my knowledge, never used. He also brought up a little box of miniature VHS tapes that went with it. It turns out she had been using it, just not around us. There was a little screen that you could open up on the side of the camcorder and play back the tapes. My brother grabbed one of the tapes and put it into the camcorder. Then he closed it up with a plastic click. We sat side by side on the couch and he messed with it for a moment until finally it started running. He handed the whole thing to me and pressed the volume button to make it loud enough to hear. The image on the screen bounced around. It was shaky, like it was being carried over uneven ground. I recognized it right away. It was the end of the yard, back by the tree line. I was able to confirm that that's exactly where she was when she panned the camcorder and I could see the house. This one's pretty boring. There's not much on it. She doesn't really talk or say anything. Most of the tapes look like this. 
I watched for a couple of minutes, not knowing what to expect. In the video, the leaves were turning colors. A lot of them had fallen. We watched for a few moments. Nothing happened. She was just walking and filming the trees. Was I supposed to see something? Not yet. He grabbed the camcorder back from me and popped out the first tape. A few of the tapes were more like this. He handed the camcorder back to me, and I watched on the little screen. It was in the same location, more or less. But this time, the leaves were all off the trees. It was winter. The ground was frozen. I could hear crunching under her feet. I turned to my brother. What am I looking at? It's what you're listening for. Just as he finished speaking, I heard it. I felt a sinking feeling in my chest. My brother must have seen it all over my face. It's him, isn't it? When was this? Uh, look at the date at the top of the screen. I did. January 2005. A few months after he died. How is that possible? I heard the voice come from the camcorder again. I remembered Mom's walks on the tree line. I hadn't realized what she was doing down there. She was recording my dad's voice from the forest. You just found these? I've been here with you the whole time. When did you even have a chance to watch them? I actually found them in high school. You were gone to college and I was snooping around downstairs. Why didn't you say something? Say something? To her? Yeah, ask her why she was wandering the woods and what was making our dead dad's voice. Well, why didn't you tell me? I thought you already knew. Why would I know? I don't know. You're my big sister. I just thought you knew things. Hey, you knew about the kids in the forest. You knew about the rabbits. What? What about the rabbits? I used to get scared and sleep in your room. When you got up to go out on the deck to watch the rabbits, I followed you. My mind was racing. The rabbits hadn't been a dream. Okay, okay. I... I know where all of this is going. But it's crazy. It's crazy, isn't it? Hang on. There's one more. He took the camcorder back from me. The tape started in right away. It was shakier than before. And that voice... I could hear Mom breathing in gasps and whimpers. The camera was panning all through the woods. Erratic. I couldn't see anything clearly. Then, all of a sudden, something happened. My mom spoke. There was no sound after she spoke. I thought maybe the volume had cut out. But then I could hear her feet on the frozen ground. She kept moving 
panning the camera. And then she came to a stop. And I saw it. Almost at the edge of the frame, there was a figure. Someone or something taking a step backward. Back into the woods. I flipped the screen closed and I stood up in a startled panic. I want to go. I don't want to be here anymore. It's almost full dark. It'll be fine once it's dark. I don't want to be here anymore. Okay. We can stay at my place tonight. I gathered my things as quickly as I could while he waited. He didn't seem particularly concerned. He'd come to terms with all of this years ago. But I haven't. We made our way out of the house and to the cars. Just as I reached my driver's side door, I heard something from the distance. Did you hear that? Let's go. He got into his car, and I got into mine, and we started down the driveway. His headlights behind me. I realized that I'd left my coat in the house. It was freezing, but I wasn't going to go back. At the bottom of the hill, as I turned onto the main road, the first flakes of snow began to fall. An hour later, we were at my brother's apartment in the city, a world away from our little hometown and the woods at the back of the house. The sun had set on the drive over. The interstate was deserted. It was Thanksgiving night. We'd brought the camcorder with us. I watched all of the tapes that Mom had made with Dad's voice coming from the trees, something pretending to be him. When I was done, I felt exhausted. It had been terrifying when we were there, but now it felt distant, like a curiosity. I guess I've always been good at detaching myself. I always thought you knew. When we were little, we saw the kids in the woods. You were there when Grandma used to tell those stories. I just, I thought you knew this whole time. How could you have known and just acted like this was normal? I don't know. It's not like the movies. It's not like this constant thing. I probably saw something three or four times the whole time I lived there. It's easy just to let it fade into the background noise. After a while, you convince yourself that the younger you was just blowing things out of proportion. You're just afraid of the dark. Okay. So, like, what is it? I don't know. I just tried to listen to Grandma's rules. I stayed out of the forest, didn't look through the trees at sunset, 
and I never answered anyone calling out from the woods. Did that ever happen? I mean, before tonight? No. I've only seen it in the tapes. I think it only happens around sunrise and sunset, when the light's weird. What do you think happens if you interact with it? I don't know. But I've always wondered why Mom got better all of a sudden. Like she did. What? Remember how she was beside herself? Unable to breathe sometimes, racked with grief? But then, she answered whatever was in the forest. She shouted at it in the last tape. And out of nowhere, she was all better. So? Well, maybe one of those times she went down to the tree line, maybe. It wasn't her that came back to the house. Or... Maybe not completely her. It lines up with the timestamp in the last video. The one where we saw... The Thing. I rolled my eyes at this. It was too much. Come on. There's no way something possessed her and then just went on living as her. For what? To live out her days in that house? To die of an aneurysm all alone like anybody else? She wasn't evil or possessed or body snatched. She was just grieving, and she hit her limit. Yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just thinking this all out right now in real time. I haven't thought about any of this, though. I looked at the clock on his stove. It was almost ten. It had been a long day. Why don't we get some sleep? We can figure it out in the morning. He got some pillows and blankets and set me up on his couch. As I laid there, my eyes adjusted to the darkness, and I could make out the living room. I had been surprised when I saw his place, an upstairs unit on a tree-lined street close to the center of the city. It was a nice neighborhood. It was a nice place. I'd always kind of imagined him living in a dump. I guess I'd finally gotten around to seeing where he lives after all. I laid awake thinking about what he'd said. About how something had happened when Mom answered the voice in the woods. I thought back to the first full day I was in town. I was standing on the back porch, looking back at the trees. It was the last warm day of the year. The sun was going down. Remembering that I'd heard something like a voice on the wind. Remembering that I'd answered it. We hung out at Donovan's apartment most of the day Friday. We didn't talk about Mom's house. We didn't talk about whatever was in the forest. We'd rushed out so quickly the night before that we didn't load anything up. All the things of moms and dads that we wanted to keep. We'd need to go back for them before we met with the estate sale people on Sunday. But I wasn't ready to think about that yet. I'd been dreading the funeral ever since I came home. Dreading having to interact with so many people I'd lost touch with. But it was mom's service, not mine. 
It was a nice service. There were more people than I expected, but it wasn't stressful like I thought it would be. Erica was there, just like she said she'd be, and I was glad to see her one more time before I left town again. After the funeral home, we moved to the cemetery, and we put my mom in the ground, right next to my dad, back together, like they'd wanted to be. I left the cemetery feeling lighter. It was sad, but there was a feeling that things were right as they should be. Bittersweet. The kind of ache that comes with a smile. Donovan and I had driven separately to the funeral home, a habit we had for some reason. We both like our time alone. I guess, in a lot of ways, we're more alike than I thought. I'm gonna get changed. Do you want to load up afterwards? All of his clothes were still back at his apartment. I still had most of my clothes at Mom's house. I don't know if it was the time that passed or all of the lingering feelings after the funeral, but I told him I'd meet him there. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. It's the middle of the day, right? You said it only happens at dawn and dusk. As long as you're sure. I was. He assured me he'd be there in a couple of hours, and we got into our cars. He drove west toward the city, and I drove east through town. I drove past the city limits, past the park where the Little League games and summer festivals happen, then up the long snowy hill toward Mom's house. Inside, I was struck by how much progress we'd made on the place. Even though we'd spent most of our time in the basement, we'd done some work upstairs, too. I didn't have that same feeling I'd had before, the feeling of stepping back in time, like Mom was just out running errands and could come back any minute. There were boxes piled up in the hall, boxes for me and boxes for my brother. Open cabinets and open closet doors, all emptied out. It wasn't like walking into my childhood home anymore. I changed out of my funeral clothes and sat down on the couch. I put my head back, looking up toward the ceiling. They say that this part, the planning, the funeral, the calls and the condolences... It's just the first part of grieving, the busy part, the part where you can distract yourself and almost forget. But it's later, after people have stopped asking how you're doing, that's when you start to feel the full weight of it all. I've done this before, but I was a kid then. I wasn't in charge of anything. But now that the funeral is over, I just want to get back to Chicago. I want to get on a plane and open the door to my apartment and be around my people and my things again. I want to pick up where I left off. I wanted to go back to pretending it didn't happen. I needed to figure out what to do with all of these boxes. Everything I wanted to keep. 
I wouldn't be able to fly back with it all. I grabbed one of the boxes with all of the photos I'd picked out. Photos from high school, pictures from around the house, from when friends were over, that photo of me and Erica before prom, posing in the backyard, our dresses, hair, and makeup. But there was something else. I hadn't noticed it before. We were posing out back, facing the house, the tree line behind us, and way back at the edge of the woods, there was a figure in white. It was fuzzy. The photo quality wasn't great. But it looked just like the figure I had seen that first morning after I came back home. After I had been lying awake all night, when Donovan was still sleeping on the couch. If I'm honest, I knew who it was when I watched out the back window that morning. And it was the same thing here. It was barely a speck on the photo. But I knew. It was my grandmother. I snapped out of it and tossed the photo away from me, a belated startle. And when I looked up, I saw something else impossible, something that turned my blood cold. Donovan. He was standing at the end of the hall, in the shadows. His face was like plastic, eyes too wide, a smile that stretched too far. My whole body was trembling. It didn't move. And I was afraid that if I moved first, it would spring into motion. Just then, I heard a car door outside. The figure at the end of the hall seemed to hear it too. It turned its head slowly toward the sound. The eyes and smile not changing a bit even as it moved. Then it turned and calmly walked into my old bedroom just as the front door opened and my real brother stepped in. I told him what happened, why I was terrified and frozen to the couch. It's never done anything like this. It's never come to the house, has it? Have you ever seen it in the house? And that's when I told him what happened just before I went to the hotel on my second night home. The night I'd heard someone from the trees. How I'd even hesitated. I'd remembered our grandmother's warnings. But I called out anyway. I answered a voice from the forest. As we left, I noticed something I hadn't seen before. All around the front and sides of the house, footprints. Human footprints. Several sets of them. Some old and almost completely covered by the newer snowfall. Some fresh. 
Something had been circling the house, and it had been doing it for days. Come on, let's go. I went back to the house one more time. It was the next day, Sunday, when we went to show the estate sale people through the place. I was anxious, but I went anyway. They were nice. An older couple, retired and doing this kind of work to keep busy. We walked through the house with them, and they went through the closets, pointed out furniture, and confirmed that everything we wanted to keep was gone. They didn't want to sell something sentimental that we may have missed. We worked from the basement to the upstairs, through the bedrooms, and eventually back to the living room. There was one thing we hadn't really talked about. Maybe we'd been avoiding it. Dad's record player. They asked if we needed a minute, and we told them that we did. Seems kind of wrong to get rid of it, doesn't it? He was right. It didn't seem right to sell it or give it away. I could take it. But you don't even know how to use it. That's okay. I can learn. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. There was a tense moment, and I wasn't sure what he was thinking. Then he spoke again. Do you mind if I take the camcorder and the tapes? I was a little taken back by the request. I told him that was fine, but my curiosity got the better of me. Why do you want to keep those? You know, we've got lots of videos of Mom, but, you know, it's the only thing we have with Dad's voice. After we finished up at the house, we said our goodbyes. I had a flight to catch. There was a rush of condolences from friends and co-workers when I got back to the city. But after a couple of days, it was over. And just like I'd hoped, life did get back to normal. There were all of those little moments I knew would come. The first time I wanted to send a text, hearing her favorite songs and movies or at the grocery store. But when I wanted to text her, I would send it to Donovan instead. A couple of months later, he rented a U-Haul and braved the Chicago winter to bring me everything I'd set aside from mom and dad's house. We had a little weekend project planned. Donovan helped me outfit dad's old record player with Bluetooth speakers. The original sound screens are still there. You'd never know we did anything to it. But I can play it from my phone now. And Donovan finally got to see my place in Chicago. Siblings should know where one another live. We put the house up for sale, and it was on the market for a long time. Turns out, everyone else in town had a hunch that there was something strange going on out there. The ghost stories had spread further than I'd imagined. It was still up for sale when my brother's lease was up. And with rent prices as high as they are, and our hometown still within commuting distance, he decided to move back in, back to the place where we grew up, our haunted childhood home. 
I'd asked him if he was sure, if it was safe. All he had to say was that he'd never answered whatever's out there, and he never planned to. Time has a way of softening things, I guess. So, I still go home for Thanksgiving, to my brother's house, our house. It's different. It's all his things now, a completely different style. It doesn't feel like the place I grew up anymore. But if I look close, I can still see it all around the edges. I think about all the moments in that house, the lives we lived there. And whenever my brother decides to move on, I can't help but think about the people that will take his place. They'll never know all about our family's life there, all its joys and its secrets. Those just belong to us now. And someday, we'll be gone too. And it'll be like they never happened at all. But they did happen, and they mattered. They mattered to us. They were everything. I waited until it felt right to open my letter from mom. I waited past Christmas and through winter. I waited until spring. It was the first really warm day of the year. The sun was going down and I could see the lights from Wrigley Field over the rooftops, off in the distance. What she wrote in my letter was a lot like my brother's. She ended mine in the same way too. She said, life is about choices and you have to choose the people who choose you. We never figured out what was in the woods. A part of me wonders if there's something about that forest that holds on to people. Maybe that's why mom heard dad's voice. Maybe that's why the record player would come on in the night. Mom, listening to old albums, the ones they'd love to listen to together. Back when her family was whole, back when she had it all. But I think, more likely, it's something that feeds off of grief. If it were a person stuck, or something that needs to harness those emotions, either way, it would do the same thing as a person stuck in time. It wouldn't want you to forget about them. I don't know why it wanted to scare me that last day, to run us off from the house. Maybe it's not something we can understand. Donovan is doing better. We don't talk about it, but he slipped up and mentioned it once. He said he only hears it on those nights when he's lonely. Scrolling dating apps. Still figuring out what he's looking for. Or, when he opens that old camcorder, listening to a voice from the past. A voice we'll never hear again. Sometimes I think about mom, walking that tree line and listening. I didn't understand it when I was a kid, but I think I understand it now. The desperation she would have felt and the way the tears and sobs overcame her when she heard dad's voice from the trees. 
but she was playing with fire, and I think she knew it. I remember how she went downhill so hard and fast at the end of her grief, and then how she snapped out of it. Maybe she realized she'd almost touched the flame. Maybe she realized she had to give it up or lose everything. I don't know what happened that made her stop. We saw something on that last tape. Did she see it too? She said you have to choose the people who choose you. A part of me wonders if something came from the trees. If it made her an offer on some cold winter twilight all those years ago. I have no idea what choice that could have been. But in the end, she chose us. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of 13. And thank you so much to all the new patrons who joined up over the month of November. Your support is going to make future multi-part series like this one possible. Join us at patreon.com forward slash 13 if you want to be a part of that project. This was part five of The Mist in the Trees, written by Ian Epperson, narrated by Brooke Jeanette. Dustin Parsons was Donovan. Emma Shujarko was mom. Ian was dad. Nate DeFort was the lawyer. And Shelby Scott was Erica. Music editing and sound design by Caleb Ritchie, with assistance from Bridget Freeman. Our producer-level patrons are Rick Linville, Tattooed Fox, Rhiannon, Sean Geary, Anthony Diaz, Jackie Kay, Delta Tango, Chantel Payne, Nick, Emily Douglas, Stephanie Klinger, and Jake R. Thank you so much for your support. Click the link in the show notes to learn more about joining us on Patreon. Check us out on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Pod13, and you can join the Facebook group at 13 Podcast. Just look for the logo. And you'll find links for those in the show notes. If you'd like to submit a story to be performed on the show or contact us about anything else, get in touch at info at 13podcast.com. You'll find submission guidelines and other info on our website, 13podcast.com. You can find that in the show notes too. Bridget Freeman chose you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next month. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.